Well, good afternoon, everyone. The H1B Guy here. And today, the H1B Guy Live, April 19th, 2023. Today, I'm going to discuss more H1B lottery coverage, as well as some Visa Bulletin retrogression speculation, and maybe towards the end, taking your questions and comments. But before we get started, I'd like to ask you if you haven't already to please subscribe to the H1B Guy channel here on YouTube and like this video so that I can continue to produce more content like this for you. I also wanted to mention the H1B Guy offers a variety of consulting services. I help businesses and individuals solve complex work authorization issues in the recruitment process while bringing awareness to employment-based immigration benefits. If I can help you, please reach out. I'd love to hear how. And you can book an appointment directly with me via the h1bguy.com. Today's live stream is brought to you by Syndesis and Path to Canada, the ideal plan B for high school immigrants currently located in the U.S. whose status may be uncertain, by perm-ads.com, the industry leader in providing a seamless experience for employers and immigration attorneys navigating the complex perm recruitment phase of the labor certification process, and by Mob Squad. Are you a technology professional facing U.S. work visa-related uncertainty? Don't leave your fate up to chance. Our partner, Mob Squad, has a solution. Join the squad. Well, it's a little after 3 p.m. here, Eastern Time in the U.S., and wanted to take a few minutes and, and just have a live stream. Wanted to cover a bunch of questions that I've been receiving from all of you that have been reaching out and messaging me over the last couple of weeks. Um, last live stream I did was with Graham Nixon, uh, head of growth at, at Mob Squad, and, and prior to that was way back on March the 1st uh, for the H-1B Lottery Fiscal Year 2024 Special Edition. So wanted to take a, a, some time this afternoon, maybe 25, 30 minutes, and uh, talk about a couple of things that we kind of consistently talk about here on this platform and see if there's additional questions or, or comments. Um, so really going back to November of last year of 2022, I began my H-1B lottery coverage for fiscal year 2024. Um, as many of you know, the portal opened on March 1st. And it, due to a glitch, it extended out. And, um, you know, I think that was kind of a new wrinkle that, that we had not seen yet uh, was a glitch that happened the Thursday before uh, the portal was supposed to be closed. So what did they do instead? They extended it out to March the 20th. Um, and, you know, I think because of that, we've we've seen a lot of, of uncertainty here over the last couple of weeks. There's been a lot of rumors and a lot of speculation. But but here's what we know uh, definitively from a timeline perspective. Um, beginning on April 1st, uh, USCIS began accepting full paper applications, petitions, um, for those that were selected for the fiscal year 2024 uh, H-1B lottery. And so we also know that if you were selected, you have until June 30th to submit your full paper um, H-1B application as your, your petitioner, your employer has until June 30th uh, to submit that full paper um, application petition. 
90 day window. This has been pretty consistent um, over really the last three years since USCIS implemented uh, the H-1B lottery electronic selection um, process and really opening it up beginning on April 1st, going through June 30th, giving employers uh, 90 days. There's been a lot of rumors and a lot of really information out there um, talking about the, the, the application rate, the number of registrations uh, that USCIS received this year. Um, going back to a live stream that I had with Sophie Alcorn back in February, where I predicted there'd be over 400,000 registrations. Uh, she said 375,000 plus. Um, and it, from the looks of it and from what I'm hearing, it appears that both of us were were, were off significantly under um, in our, our predictions. I'm hearing somewhere in the neighborhood of over 500,000. Um, I've read some international publications that have speculated 700,000 plus. Um, but... Until USCIS makes an official news release, uh, puts out kind of an, what I would say is an alert or a, a news release on USCIS.gov that will confirm the amount of registrations that they received and the number of selections of those registrations. So last year, if you recall, it was 483,000 plus USCIS selected 127,600. Um, so I'm expecting some similar update to be posted by USCIS before the end of the month. Um, the 28th, I believe, is is next Friday. Um, so I would say probably in the neighborhood of by next Friday, we should have some official data from USCIS. That's my expectation. Uh, of course, between now and, and that date, any, anything's possible, right? And then it could push a little bit further uh, into the beginning of May. Uh, but I do expect over the next several weeks, we're going to have uh, an update on the, the probability. And by probability, I mean the amount of registrations USCIS received and the number of registrations that they selected. Something that I've talked about a lot as well is, is this concept of application rates. And so if we look back historically last year, uh, USCIS was, was basically going on record and saying that there would be under a 70% application rate for those registrations selected. So I expect a similar number, um, somewhere probably in the 115 to 125,000 registrations would be selected. And a lot of this comes back to what we call duplicate registrations, meaning an individual is having multiple employers, multiple companies sponsor them. It's really the only um, option uh, in terms of, of multiple options that an individual has. Once that H-1B is selected, um, then they are, they are tied to that employer that it was selected for it. And I think that this is where, when we look into what the electronic selection process and electronic registration process is created is really this concept of needing multiple employers um, to submit your name into the registration to increase your probability of your odds of being selected. And a lot of this is being done through consultancies and what I call basement shops. And unfortunately, um, it's inflating the registration numbers. It's making it even more difficult for um, 
individuals from all over the world who are uh, looking to come to the U.S. on an H-1B visa, um, the opportunity to uh, be selected. And so probability wise, right, we've talked about it being somewhere in the neighborhood of 15 to 25 percent. Um, and if this holds true, I'm hearing very low probability, low selection rates. So somewhere in, in the um, eight, 16 to 18% range, which is really staggering if you start to look at, at what that means in terms of, of how the current process is working. Now, the good news, if, if there is some good news, when we start to look ahead for fiscal year 2025, right? So next March. Lot next year's H-1B lottery, um, you know, it's most likely that USCIS will be implementing a $215 registration fee. Um, and so I think that will curb some of these multiple registrations, but I don't think that barrier to entry is significant enough um, to eliminate it completely. I've speculated $1,000 or more, right, um, that would be non-refundable would really, I think, eliminate a lot of, of what's going on. But uh, you know, there's there's really no telling. It's it's merely just speculation. The other question that I'm getting a lot of is around: Will there be a second lottery based on these significant number of registrations? Um, I posted a video uh, last Wednesday, uh, last Thursday. Um, you know, covering the subject. Uh, of course, you know you can go back and and watch that, but. You know, right now, uh, until USCIS comes out and makes it known how many registrations they received and how many selections they made, um, it, it's really too early to, to be matter of fact on if there will or will not be a second H-1B lottery. But I will go back to my seven predictions for 2023. And, and this is one of them. There's not going to be a second H-1B lottery. Um at least I don't believe so right now is, is kind of the data that I'm looking at uh, leads me to believe. Um, but I very well could be wrong. Um, I don't think anyone predicted that for uh, fiscal year 2022, there'd be three H-1B lotteries held. So again, these are the repercussions of, of what's happened um, with the electronic registration and electronic random selection process is we've seen kind of a change in the pattern of the number of individuals that are being entered into the H-1B lottery application rates, as, as I've covered as well. Um, you can go back and, and look at application rates uh, for fiscal year 2021, fiscal year 2022, where application rates were you know, somewhere around 70%. And in the second lottery that was held, um, for fiscal year 2022, the application rate was only about 40%. And that created the necessity to have a third H-1B lottery in that year, which was held um, already in the new fiscal year in, in, that, in November of 2021. So really kind of unprecedented uh, selections that we've seen with second and even third H-1B lotteries. Of course, there was a lot of speculation last year. Would there be a second H-1B lottery? I, I thought there would, but even so, USCIS selected that 127,600 registrations and, and they avoided doing so. And I'm actually still aware of some cases that are pending approval um, that were selected in, in last year's lottery.
So short answer here on those that keep asking about will there be a second H-1B lottery? Um, you know, my thoughts on this are no. I don't think there will be. Uh, but I will defer to uh, the data that USCIS will provide most likely sometime um, by the end of next week surrounding the number of registrations they received and the number of individuals that, that they selected. I'm looking forward to seeing that data and really curious to see if we are over a half a million registrations or if that number is even higher as being speculated, as I mentioned, by, by some of the international publications out there. Uh, but more uh, H-1B lottery coverage. Of course, we continue to talk about the H-1B lottery throughout the year, and uh, this is just a continuation of that coverage and, and where we stand right now, which is really in the application period. Um, as the H-1B lottery has really become a 12-month cycle in, in terms of news and covering the H-1B visa as a whole. I'd like to ask you, if you haven't already, please subscribe to the H-1B Guy channel here on YouTube. Make sure to like this video. And if you haven't already, uh, hit the bell for notifications so that you're notified anytime we do go live like we have here today on Wednesday, April 19th, 2023, a little after 3 p.m. Eastern. Uh, also, if you're looking for other ways to support the channel, you can do so currently through the super chat function, or if you're watching this or listening to the later through the super thanks feature on YouTube. If you are listening or consuming this via the H1B Guy podcast, would ask that you'd leave us a rating and, and follow the, 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 the podcast, please. Really appreciate all of you who do consume this in an audio-only format on the H1B Guy podcast. It's been an audience that's been aggressively growing here on the H1B Guy platform over the last several months. So thank you to those of you who listen um, to this in, in an audio format. Um, wanted to pivot now to um, you know, last week as well, the uh, visa bulletin for May, um, you know, was posted. And, you know, I think, again, we, we had some significant disappointment. Um, and the thing to me is, as I covered during the H-1B guy grades, um, you know, May 2023 visa bulletin predictions versus the actual bulletin released was, was really found down at the bottom and I think what I found interesting from the May bulletin that really stood out to me outside of more retrogression for all chargeability and EB2, um, dates established for all chargeability for EB3, um, EB3 China um, for both final action dates and dates of filing with forward movement, pretty significant forward movement, um, but down in, in section D, right? Department of State puts it out there, visa availability and the employment-based first preference EB1 for China and India. And they they say, quote, increased rest of world demand and number use in EB1 will most likely necessitate retrogression in the final action dates for China and India in the coming months to hold number use within the maximum allowed under the fiscal year 2023 annual limits. Uh, so I, I find this interesting because they only mentioned final action dates. So that tells me dates of filing are going to hold. Um, so if, if we're kind of looking ahead and, and doing some speculation, that, that tells me that that June 1st, 2022 date is good. But if we're sitting at a February 1st, 2022 date for EB1 for India and China, does that mean that we're moving into 2021 dates? 
And if we're talking about how much further back are we looking, um, you know, historically, we've seen the retrogression fall anywhere between 100 to about 300 days um, and, and chunks of that. So I think we could be looking somewhere in the mid 2021 time frame as we look at at the possible retrogression for for EB1. It's really interesting, though, because if we go back to May of 2022, April, May 2022, EB1 became current and then maintained its its current dates um, until November, uh, December of of this past year. So um, looking like we're going to be moving back a couple of months, most likely for final action dates for India and EB1. And as I mentioned, you know, I'll, I'll have to look at it and kind of do some some counts on the I-140 approval numbers. Uh, but my guess is probably going to be somewhere uh, 150 to 300 days, uh, most likely, which would put it somewhere right in the middle of, of 2021 for EB1 for India and China for, for final action. The other thing stood out to me and, and looking at, you know, visa availability uh, in category F and employment-based second preference um, as well as EB-5, employment-based fifth, fifth preference for India. Um, Section F states, quote, despite recent retrogressions, there continues to be high demand for EB-2 and EB-5 visa numbers by applicants with priority dates earlier than the established final action dates. As a result, it will be necessary to retrogress the India employment second preference and employment fifth preference final action dates as early as next month to keep visa issuances within their annual per country limit. Every effort will be made in October to return the final action dates to at least the final action date announced for April. Um, so again, you know, dire situation continues to get worse. Um, I, I feel like it's it's been a pretty consistent theme of, of the visa bulletin and, and covering uh, the green card backlog, but if we're we're looking at okay, what does that mean? April was January one, two thousand and eleven. Um, so that tells me that we're going back to two thousand and ten dates, most likely, and those dates will hold as is until October, October twenty twenty three, which is you know, five and a half months from where we currently stand, we'll, we'll move back to uh, January 1st, 2011 for, for final action dates. Um, I would assume based on that, we most likely would see uh, dates of filing for India EB2 move forward slightly in the October 2023 bulletin. But it does lead me to believe that we're probably not going to see any movement for um, India EB2 dates of filing, that, that the date that, that we currently are showing um, is most likely the, the date that, that we're going to be holding to, that, that May 1st, 2011 date. But again, I, I was really surprised to see the amount of forward movement that occurred in China EB3 for final action dates and dates of filing. Pretty significant movement. Uh, but it feels like kind of the rest of the bulletin is, is going to be stuck as is, other than the possibility of retrogression um, for India EB2 final action dates. 
um, and the possibility of uh, China and India EB1 final action dates with, with possible retrogression either next month or the following month. But I think as a whole, we based on Section F, right? Based on Section F, um, I think it, 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 it's an easy conclusion to draw that there was going to be retrogression for for India EB2 um, in the, the June 2023 Visa Bulletin. So with that being said, um, if you have questions, comments, thoughts on the H-1B lottery, thoughts on the Visa Bulletin, um, Post those in the chat. would like to take a few minutes here to, to do some questions and comments for those of you who are tuning in. I would like to thank you. Um, just would like to ask you again, if you haven't already, please make sure you're subscribed to the H1B Guy channel here on YouTube. Uh, like this video and click the bell for notifications uh, so that you're notified anytime we post new content here to this channel or go live like we have here today on April 19th at a little after 3 p.m. Eastern. Um, I did want to mention some upcoming live streams that may be of interest to you. Um, so next Wednesday, April 26th, uh, I'm going to be joined by my good friend Mark Pavlavopoulos from Syndesis and Path to Canada. Again, that's Wednesday, April 26th at 2 p.m. Eastern. It'll be a live stream here on YouTube. Um, it's been over a year since I've had Mark on, and he and I had a chance to catch up last Monday here in Atlanta for coffee. Um, it was great to see Mark and, and reconnect with him and kind of map out uh, uh, what our plan is for our partnership as we move forward into 2023. Um, so we're going to have a great Q&A, um, a, a, an interview from, from me uh, with Mark, just kind of catching up on what's been going on with Syndesis and Path to Canada, talking about some of the changes that, that they've been working on there internally and how they can help you if you're looking for an option, um, if you weren't selected in the H-1B lottery, or if you're finding your status here in the U.S. potentially in limbo. Um, so again, Wednesday, April 26th at, at, at 2 p.m. Eastern, live stream with my good friend Mark Pavlavopoulos from Synthesis and Pat to Canada. And then the following Wednesday, I'm really excited about this. I'm going to have the opportunity to introduce to you um, somebody who I had the opportunity to connect with very recently. Um, we have mutual friends, mutual acquaintances, but it was the first time that we got to connect. Um, and that is with Danielle Goldman with open avenues she is the co-founder and executive director of open avenues and open avenues is a great alternative option for those of you um, who are seeking uh, h1b status potentially in an exempt um, status and so please be sure to join us on wednesday may the 3rd at 2 p.m eastern um, and we're going to do a live Q&A, uh, talk all about open avenues. And if you guys have questions or comments, please come join that live stream. And that will be on Wednesday, May the 3rd at 2 p.m. Eastern. Um, of course, look for more of those, but I'll post those streams and put that out on the social channels the day of. So April 26th with Mark uh, Pavlopoulos from Sandesis and Path to Canada. And then May 3rd with Daniel Goldman from Open Avenues at 2 p.m. Eastern as well. All right. So I want to take a few minutes here and uh, open it up to questions and comments. Vinay, I see yours. I'm going to pull that up first. If any of you who have also joined this stream would love uh, your questions or comments, post those in the chat. I'd like to spend the next four or five minutes here rolling through those if we can. 
Vinay is asking for cap exempt H1B and green card. What is the estimated timeline in your opinion after H1B is received and green card application is under discussion? Like how long will the process be and what are the milestone steps? Um, great question here, Vinay. So I think, you know, ultimately the the timeline to get a cap exempt as long as you qualify is pretty similar in terms of the overall um, process and and legal representation right so probably looking at somewhere between as quick as two to three weeks and more likely like that three to six week time frame to get the cap exempt filed submitted and approved now, an employer, they can go ahead and initiate a green card um, perm labor sponsorship process for you, even if you're not working for them. But to answer your question, if you're working for them under a cap-exempt H-1B and they initiate that perm labor process, right now we're looking at at least 18 months, roughly, um, to get to where potentially the perm labor is certified. And I think that 18 months is almost um, a conservative number, really probably closer to uh, 20 to 22 months. So really a year and a half, almost two years uh, to get to what I'd call a perm labor certification. And think about Green Card Vinay and really three steps. From an employer perspective, we think about Green Card in three steps. And so the first step is the perm labor certification process. And that process is initiating that perm labor certification, going through the prevailing wage determination, advertising, and all the appropriate and supporting documents that it takes to file um, a, a perm labor certification. Once that perm labor is certified, let's say it's, it's 18, 20 months, from there, perm labor certification is received. Step two is what I call the I-140 step, okay? And that is a huge and significant step because that allows you to extend your H-1B time if you're in the U.S. working on H-1B time, potentially under a non-exempt status, okay? Um, and the I-140 step from once you have your perm labor certified to when the I-140 can be filed, you're looking at roughly four to six weeks, okay? Um, and once your I-140 is approved, then you're waiting on a priority date to become current. And that's step four that i-485 that adjustment of status once your priority date is current now if you are from um, a country where your dates are current depending on your category the i-140 and the i-45 adjustment of status they can be filed um, in parallel and so you can sometimes do steps two and three at the, at the same time but think about the the terms of the process, the milestone steps, step one is perm labor certification. Step two is I-140. Step three is adjustment of status. Good question. And you had one other one. Uh, was going to ask me about open avenues and the legal aspects to it. Looking forward to it. Yeah. Thank you very much to join us on May 3rd. Um, Danielle is fantastic. You're going to learn a lot. I know I did in my conversation with her, and I'm really excited to have her on and, and talk about Hey, if you weren't selecting the H-1B lottery, what next? And it's a great option working within the letter of the law. And it's one of the things that I, I think is, is really a little known um, option for individuals out there who, um, who may be looking to um, identify an opportunity to work on H-1B and, and exempt status. So 
Um, have another minute or so if anyone else has any other questions. Otherwise, I'll just mention it again. Um, next Wednesday, uh, Mark Pavlopoulos from Synthesis and Path to Canada. Uh, that's April 26th at 2 p.m. Eastern. Um, and then, as, a, as I just mentioned as well, on May the 3rd, Daniel Goldman from Open Avenues will be joining me at 2 p.m. Um, Eastern. Uh, Vinay, you said you may have mistaken cap exempt for lottery exempt while working for nonprofit higher research. Are these the same or different? Nope, you're right. So think about uh, cap exempt is a nonprofit research, right? Um, and they can obtain an H-1B for you at any point throughout the year. They don't require to register you in the lottery, whereas non-exempt, right, for-profit organizations, um, they can only put you in the lottery once a year. You have to go into the H-1B lottery to be awarded one of those 85000 uh, the 65000 um, in what I'd call the international pool, and then the 20000 for advanced U.S. degree. So the two differentiations are exempt is not for profit, non-exempt for profit. That's the easiest way to, to differentiate them. So good question, Vinay. Thanks. All right, guys. Well, that, with that being said, um, oh, Mohit, you've got a question for me. Does someone on L1B qualify for an EB1C application? The only way, Mohit, that would be possible is if you were a manager in an international arena outside of the U.S. for at least a year for the same organization. So most likely in that situation, you'd be on an L1A versus an L1B. But if you were a manager for the, 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 your employer that holds your O&B at least a year outside of the U.S. before you came to the U.S., and then you're working here in the U.S. and possibly looking at moving into a managerial type role, then EB1C may be a possibility for you. But if you're just an individual contributor and you don't have that one year of managerial experience outside of the U.S. before coming to the U.S., then no, you wouldn't qualify. Uh, any other questions or comments before we close out today's live stream? Um, just wanted to do a quick recap again, you know, a little bit more H-1B lottery coverage. Went over timelines, probabilities, a lot of rumors, talked about second lottery a little bit. Um, had some visa bulletin retrogression speculation, which, of course, the Department of State really leads us to believe that's going to be more matter of fact. Um, and uh, to, just to mention the live streams that we're going to be hosting over the next couple of weeks. Mohit, one last question for you. What level of manager qualifies for L1A? Um, literally, it's, it's manager or above. Um, so there are documented, you have documented direct reports, not indirect reports, not matrix reports, but documented direct reports, and you most likely have to provide experience letters, which would show those documented direct reports. Uh, at what stage can the application for a spouse be added for GC application for exempt employment? Um, that would be in conjunction with, with yours, but really what you're looking for from them is that I-140, step two. Once you have that, then you can request an H4EAD via uh, I-765. That'd be the easiest way. So if you can get to perm labor certified in I-140, 
um, then you can submit an I-765 for your spouse to get an H-4 EAD. No problem, Vinay. Thanks for joining. And Mohit, thank you as well. Appreciate your questions. Um, all right. So with that being said, I'm going to go ahead and close this out. Um, just wanted to remind everyone that today's live stream was brought to you by Syndesis and Path to Canada, the ideal plan B for high school immigrants currently located in the U.S. If you're facing an H-1B denial or OPT expiration, don't get caught off guard. Make sure you have a plan B and Syndesis and Path to Canada are your answers. They'll gladly help you navigate the process. And if you'd like to find out if you qualify, please be sure to use the link in the video description below and someone from Syndesis or Path to Canada will be in touch. And remember, next Wednesday, April 26, 2 p.m., I'll be joined by Mark Pavlovich from Syndesis and Path to Canada. And also by perm-ads.com, the industry leader in providing a seamless experience for employers and immigration attorneys navigating the complex perm recruitment ad phase of the labor certification process. If you're looking to reduce your costs and overhead associated with perm labor certification recruitment advertising, let perm-ads.com help you. And by Mob Squad, are you a technology professional facing U.S. work visa-related challenges? Don't leave your fate up to chance. Our partner Mob Squad has a solution. Mob Squad helps technology professionals facing U.S. work visa-related uncertainty remain working with their current U.S. company nearshore from Canada, as well as technology professionals from around the world who are seeking to find a rewarding opportunity in North America. Through the partnership with the Canadian government, they can obtain a Canadian work permit for you and your spouse in as little as six weeks. So whether you're looking to stay working with your current U.S. employer or you want to find a new opportunity in Canada, Please find out how the team at Mob Squad can help you via the link in the video description below. Join the squad. Well, just wanted to ask you again, please like this video, subscribe to the H1B Guy channel here on YouTube, and click the bell for notifications so that you're notified anytime we go live like we did here today on April 19th, 2023, a little after 3 p.m. Um, if you are not, please follow me on Twitter. Uh, Connect with me on LinkedIn. Uh, I have an Instagram, Facebook. There's a Telegram channel. Check out the h1bguy.com if you haven't been there for a backlog of almost three years of content covering the H1B visa and the green card backlog. If you've made it this far, thank you very much. I really appreciate your support for joining my live stream or if you're watching or listening to this at a later date. I cannot do this without you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I'm Robert. I'm the H-1B guy, your global source for all things H-1B.